This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia and welcome into episode 102 of the Half Measures podcast. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and friend, Mr. Dan Whiting. Kia ora, Dan. Kia ora, Paul. How are you today? I'm good. I just realized that I have done something that you, I've noticed, always do, and I never do. I've just said the Half Measures podcast. You always say the Half Measures podcast. I always say Half Measures podcast. And... Uh, I feel like somehow you've got into my subconscious and now I'm saying the. It's funny because whenever I write down anything about the Half Measures podcast, I always have to think to myself, is it the? Is it the? like with a capital T? And then I have to stop myself and be like, no, it's just Half Measures podcast. But still, I say it. It's like how I said last week. This is episode 101. Yeah. It's like it's an evolving thing. Uh, it's the middle of summer here. It's sweltering hot. It's been unbelievably hot where I am. What about you? Yeah, pretty crazy, eh? Like it's, uh, it makes it hard to go to sleep at night. Um, almost even in the weekends, like, you know, sometimes like even hard to be like, oh, let's watch a TV. It's just, it's too hot. It's too hot to be, you know, stuck in front of the TV. But at the same time, it's sometimes the coolest place to be. That's right. I'm preempting the fact that I may not have watched that much because it's just been too hot to be inside. It's kind of like a defense mechanism here. This isn't a podcast for excuses, Paul. This is a podcast for actions. Speaking of which, Dan, can you please let us all know what you've been watching this week? I have got three and a half things for you this week. And I'm I'm coming in real hot on this first one, Paul. Real hot. So I just want you to kind of brace yourself for this one. So I was scrolling Netflix at the start of the week. And you know how randomly stuff comes and goes on Netflix and it auto plays the trailers and I know that you can turn the autoplay off. Anyway, an old movie came up that I have obviously heard lots about but I've never ever watched. It's the 1992 Russell Crowe movie Romper Stomper. Now this is obviously a a pretty heavy, pretty dark film. Definitely something, you know, that a subject matter that we don't support, advocate for on the podcast. But it's also a pretty famous movie, and a lot of people talk about this as you know a, a real peak performance for Russell Crowe. And the the trailer started auto playing, and I was like, "Should I give this a go?" I, I felt a bit dirty doing it, but I, I gave it a go. So I watched this movie, and bear in mind, so this came out in 1992. So this is 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Which is which is pretty old, and this is a very young Russell Crowe, and so he basically he plays the the lead skinhead in this film, and it's it's set in Melbourne, Australia, and like the subject matter is horrible, the, the context is horrible. It's got a very kind of dystopian Mad Max type vibe to me because the it's quite a like all the, the color palette's quite sort of like washed out. It's very sort of like there's not a lot of people around in the scenes. There's often quite intense scene with um, Russell Crowe's character and the and his fellow skinheads. And it was a movie I I didn't overly enjoy, but I 
but I guess it was interesting interesting to watch just given the the history and how highly people sort of rate this as a as a piece of cinema. One of the scenes in this movie, Paul, very disturbing. There is there is a a, a sex scene in this movie that I was like, this looks real. This oh I, what I, it looks real. So I googled it. It's real. Like and like it's like it's kind of just got like crazy stuff like that going on. I, I kind of enjoyed the, the the end of the movie and kind of how it kind of like wrapped up the story. But yeah, it's it's a bit of a weird one, but I gave it a go. I dipped my hand in the 50 cent mixture and this is what came out. <laughs> I don't know that this is the 50 cent lolly jar at all, but um, it's interesting when you use the word peak performance for Russell Crowe, because I remember when we did our peak performance for Russell Crowe a while ago, there were uh, a mention of this movie. And this is one I've never seen 30 years ago. Um, one of his earliest movies too. I mean, I guess this is other than like neighbors uh, and the young doctors, this is like uh, probably the first that the world properly saw of Russell Crowe. And he obviously, again, without having watched it, I'm guessing he's, he's done enough to have really made a name for himself in this movie because he's gone on to do so many movies that you and I have absolutely enjoyed but um no this one does sound severe you know the um the what do you call it the parents guide every every category has got severe 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 so this Mm. but yeah that scene that you talked about that feels like the idea of having watched that I I I don't want to see that you know it's like that's not that's not for me it was alarming, and in sort of like like just doing this quick Google search, it kind of led me down a path of kind of reading some of the uh, the things about this movie, just some of the the trivia, I guess. And so, for example, Russell Crowe wasn't even the first pick for this movie um, as Hendo, as apparently the the person they originally wanted, when that person sort of shaved their head to sort of you know to sort of understand what the character might look like he didn't look menacing enough and so russell crowe was actually kind of the i don't know if second choice is the right word but he he really pushed for with his agent with the director to to get the role and and he apparently much more sort of fit the vision of what they were looking for and i I think he does a a fantastic sort of job as a as a menacing character as we've seen in many russell crowe movies like um he, he he's a real beast there's all sorts of other kind of sad things associated with this movie without in a full half measure way not knowing a lot of context like uh, a guy called Daniel Pollock who's the the co-star of um, Russell Crowe he actually um committed suicide just before the movie launched um due to a some sort of court trial that happened so uh, and he was he was a great actor in this as well it's it's got a it's kind of one of those movies with a interesting and kind of dark background to the whole thing so yeah fascinating that is really disturbing yeah 23 years old my goodness so moving on to maybe more more positive things so i've watched and finished a series so uh, a new series that we we started is one on amazon prime called the wheel of time so this series uh came out uh late last year and we decided to let's save it all up and, and watch it as a as a big this is a big series. And as my, my father-in-law would say, this is a swords and sandals type drama. It's it's real kind of uh, high fantasy. And in kind of a, it kind of had a bit of a Lord of the Rings vibe to me. And obviously, you know, this is a, a very famous book series. And I imagine there's some very passionate people out there about the Wheel of Time. Uh, but it's it's sort of a, 
But the context of this is so it's said in the higher fantasy world where magic exists, um, but only some can access it. A woman named um, Maureen crosses paths with five young men and women, and this sparks a dangerous world-spanning journey, and it's based on the book series by um, Robert uh, Jordan. And so basically this 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 lady basically comes across these these five people who are kind of prophesized to um, – I think be be the dragon. I think they refer to it as, and so she's trying to get them to a, a destination, trying to work out which one of these five is is this um, sort of foretold person. And it's 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 quite a good series. I quite enjoyed it. Like it's it's very what's the word I'm looking for? Like Lord of the Rings is almost like like easygoing fantasy for me, right? Like you know, you don't have to be a big fantasy fan. You can just jump in. Like the story's pretty simple. This, however. Like quite a complex story, lots of lots of sort of characters, big sort of character development moments, great cast, and you can tell it's a series that is going to probably need, you know, five, six plus sort of seasons to really tell the story they want to tell, which I imagine will be easy for them because there's there's a number of books that sit behind this. It's it's so interesting you say that it has a Lord of the Rings feel because we just we've started watching a series on Amazon Prime which. Um, I'll, I'll talk about it next week because we haven't really got that far into it but you know at the start of a, an episode of Amazon Prime they, they they almost play a little mini trailer um, this one came up a couple of times and we were like oh that looks like Lord of the Rings that was literally the words that came out of my mouth and now looking at the photos as well it definitely has that vibe about it when you said before Dan uh, Lord of the Rings is quite straightforward and entry level um, but this isn't were you saying that in in a good way or or a bad way, or just simply that it's different. Um, probably just in a, in a more complex way. Like it's a it's a really uh, this probably isn't quite the right term, but this is this is way more kind of and way more sort of nerdy, and there's way more kind of like complexity to the the lore of it, and there's the, the characters are. Um, a lot deeper and I think you know and this is probably unfair to say this compared to, to Lord of the Rings but it's it it's way more intense than Lord of the Rings is like you know you could explain Lord of the Rings to probably any anyone like you know Fellowship we've got Gimli, Legolas, Aragorn etc the Hobbits and it's a, like we're trying to get the ring to Mordor yeah I don't think I could quickly explain this show to you and I think it's going to be one of those shows where like we we really enjoyed the first season but it might be one of those shows that like you don't realize how much you maybe love it until a few seasons in because it just feels like such a big world and universe with so many layers and lots of complexities. And yeah, look, if you're into this type of uh, fantasy, and that they, as I said earlier, they describe this as high fantasy, then this is, this is probably one for you. But it's if if this is not your genre at all, it might be a TV show that you struggle with. Yeah, interesting and. Looks like it's got a great, great cast. Um, seems to be be rating um, pretty highly as well. So it seems to be going down pretty well. It's interesting because yeah, it's one that I would definitely consider giving a go. And I wonder, it feels like this first season's laying some groundwork, and then as you say, sort of season two, three, four, you might sort of really take off. So um, if if that's the case, and you're going to stick with it, I'll, I'll I'll be keen to hear what you think. Yeah, no, look, I think it is very much doing that. And I think, you know, 
the, as you mentioned, like the cast is fantastic. You do get um, some closure at the end of the season, at season one, but it's very much, you can tell this is the start of the world and there's still so many things you want to know about the universe, characters you want to know more about. And like, it's perfectly set up for, for multiple seasons. Um, and, you know, would be a good one to sort of stumble across when there is quite a few seasons out because I imagine it would be a, a fantastic binge. Nice. Great to see Amazon are really putting some amazing series out there by the looks of it. Oh, yeah, and I think if, if the Lord of the Rings series coming out does, you know, even 80% of this, then I think we're, we're in good hands. I think they've got um, pretty fantastic uh, effects, storytelling sets, so... I, th- I think they're obviously investing heavily in this and it's it's probably a good place for them. Awesome. The other series, so this is a series I started last year uh, and then we kind of, for one reason or another, put it on hold and now we've, we've, we've come back to finish it. And so this is Dexter New Blood. So, uh, so we, I think I reviewed maybe two or three episodes yeah. last year. Then we had the, the Christmas period. We watched a few other things. And now, as I say, we, we've come back to finish it. So this is the uh, mini series follow up to uh, Dexter, the TV show. This is kind of the, you could look at it as a standalone season, uh, or you could look at it as kind of season nine. And so there was a lot of people that were unhappy with how Dexter, the original TV show, ended, me included in that. And this, I think, was so this is basically 10 years after the events of uh, of Dexter and, and in real, real time as well. And it's so great to sort of be back with uh, Dexter Morgan, the character, back with some of the original cast. And, you know, going through this season, I wasn't really sure where we were were heading. But this is the perfect do-over for me, Paul. They gave me the closure I wanted. They gave me the ending I wanted. And they, they undid all the the damage they did with the finale of season eight and props to them for sort of coming back and doing this and kind of doing it for the fans, because this isn't necessarily a show, which, you know, if you're, if you're new to this, you might feel like oh, I need to watch all the other Dexters, but they do a good enough job at kind of bringing you on board. And I think I might've mentioned in my early reviews that um, Samara had never, has never watched any of the other Dexter, but she jumped right into the season and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, with pretty minimal context, so th- this is really good. I- I'm not going to go into sort of the how this concludes because I think if you're a Dexter fan and you were kind of left with a you know a bit of a salty salty taste, then this is the one to come back and and get amongst because it does give you that closure. And I'll tell you what it also does is it leaves the door open if they want to carry it on in a really unique and different different way. You sort of covered off one of my questions there because I noticed that this has an end date on the end of it as it's as it's a standalone, as it's a miniseries, and so that this appears to be final as it is at this point. What I find interesting is so often, and you've said this with Game of Thrones and other things where there seems to be a universal, oh, that wasn't a good way to to, to end things. What if you're someone like me, one of the rare fans in the world of The Rise of Skywalker, what if in five, six years someone comes along and does something to undo that damage, as they call it? And uh, what if you're a fan of the old ending? How do you think you're going to feel watching 
new blood? I think it's tough, right? Like, um, you know what? I'm going to talk spoilers because I was thinking about them like, if you are a Dexter fan and you don't want the spoilers, then maybe use the maybe maybe jump ahead a couple of minutes. But I think to talk about this, we need to kind of talk about how how it ended and then how this this season ended. If that's okay with you, Paul. Go for it. So at the end of the um, season eight, so Dexter basically um, rides his boat into a, a hurricane storm um, with his um, deceased sister. And basically it kind of ends with Dexter um, assuming, like presumed dead um, in the newspaper, assuming a new alias and sort of starting a new life. And that's kind of where it ended, but the the CGI was terrible. It didn't really feel like the ending people wanted. It didn't really give closure. But in so in Dexter New Blood, basically where it picks up is so Dexter's assumed his new life. He's been li- He's been living a relatively... Um, safe life under his new identity. Um, so he was previously in Florida. Now he's in, um, uh, I forget where, sort of a upstate New York. And he hasn't, what he calls his, his dark passenger, he hasn't um, felt the urge to, to, to kill or, or he's kept it suppressed for a long time. A series of events happened and he ends up um, killing someone. In the process, his son... Um, who we haven't seen since season eight, who he left for somebody else to be to look after, basically tracks Dexter down. And it turns out that Dexter's son, kind of born in the same condition that Dexter was, and you know, during a, a brutal murder, also kind of has the, the passion and desire to kill. And so Dexter mm. kind of trains him to um, manage that. Uh, desire and anger and stuff and a whole bunch of things happen and ultimately at the end of this and this is this is the real clincher if you don't want to hear it and jump forward sort of a minute is um dexter basically gets uncovered for for being dexter and ultimately ends up being killed at the end of the season and so it's kind of left with his son to take over the mantle. And one of the things they they used to do with Dexter in the original series is he would have kind of visions or, you know, flashbacks to talking to his his uh stepdad who would kind of coach him and how to kind of manage manage himself in these these situations. And in this season, it was Dexter's sister who kind of played that role to Dexter. But you could imagine in a, a future spin-off, Dexter's son you know, kind of going on this journey of becoming a, you know, a good serial killer, and Dexter still being in the in the show right. actually is the is the conscience. And what a sort of a, an interesting way to yeah, do it. That is a really interesting way to do it. So, so I kind of feel like they've 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 written it so that both fans or not fans of the old ending will be able to get something out of this and still have that ending be that canon hasn't been overwritten. So yeah, I think you've got a choice, right? Like when you, whenever they redo things, there's people that are going to who are going to love it, and there's people that are going to hate it, right? And so you, you know, in your Star Wars setting, you've got a choice. Like you can be like, nope, that's not for me. I'm always I'm I'm an original guy, and I'm I'm going with my original favorite movie, um, or or you'll choose the other one, and it's you know, and I think it's it's no different from when we talk about um the book of Boba Fett, right? Mm. Like. They change, like you know, as they they do more things, they change characters, they expose things. It changes the way you think about these characters, and some of that stuff can't be undone. And so, you as a as a fan have to decide: I'm okay with this. This is the evolution, or 
actually I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here because I like my memories kind of where they were. If only we didn't have social media sometimes, so I didn't have to read all the comments of all the haters of everything. I noticed um, the creator of Dexter, James Manos Jr., his name is not associated with the new series. Was that was that anything to do with the way the show ended in the in the first run? Or um, I'm not I'm no, not too sure. Okay. Not too sure. Yeah, uh, who knows? It could have been just sort of the the packing up and sort of moving forward with it, and and who was yeah. available to do what. It's so, it's rating highly. It seems to be. I would say overall, it seems to have been a hit. Yeah. Oh, look, definitely. Look, if you're if you're a Dexter fan, I think hopefully. Like, you know, going through this sort of rewatch, there was a few episodes where I was like, "Oh, it's getting a bit, getting a bit slow." But I'll tell you, those those final couple of episodes, fantastic, edgy of your seat material. You don't know how people are going to get out of different situations. You don't know where it's where it's going to get to. So, I think they they just they did it justice. And you know, I think it, it leaves hope out there for one day, maybe redoing that final episode of Game of Thrones. Ball. like you know, we'll never get the whole season, but maybe we'll get the one day. One day, the recap of how it could have ended or should have ended. I'd love you and I to draw up a list of shows that we just feel not cancelled too soon because we've already done that. But actually, can we just revisit the ending, please, and do that yeah. again? Yeah, I think we can think of a few. And then the other, so I've just started a new TV show, and I more want to do, I guess, put the put the half measures fans on notice that I want to have a bit of a, a combo about this next week, is I've started Yellow Jackets, which is a, a TV show here on Neon. And I'm about halfway through. I'm not going to talk about it yet, but I'm loving it, Paul. This is great. I'm even, you should even get amongst it. This is a, a fantastic TV show. Um, and I'm really looking forward to talking about it on, on the pod next week. So that's your warning. I feel like, Either I'm having deja vu or alternate universe or confusing it with another show, but I'm just looking at the synopsis about the survivors of a plane crash and whoever I talked to, and I thought it was you, Dan, we talked about, oh, it sounds a little bit like the lost sort of setting and the, you know they survive. Maybe I'm confusing this with something else, but yeah, this does you could be thinking that You could be thinking about a TV show we talked about a while ago uh, on the pod, probably about a year ago, actually, called The Wilds. Oh, yeah. Um, Yes. And that was where they – yeah. Okay. And that's a very lost setting. This is is very different. Well, it's kind of – this does have a lost vibe to it, actually, but it's – yeah, I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna hold off talking about it, but it's a it's an interesting TV show. How many episodes am I looking at? Eleven episodes. Okay. I think ten. I think ten. Oh, ten. Okay. Uh, Ten for season one, I think. Oh yeah, oh there it is. Yep, awesome. Yeah. What about yourself? What have you been watching? Uh, well, I carry on the James Bond rewatch. License to Kill, nineteen eighty nine. This was fantastic. I feel like this this journey I'm on is hitting a real peak, and it's not a peak I expected to stand out when I, you know, when we first started this Bond weekly rewatch, which, by the way, I was looking, was all the way back in podcast 85. That's how long it takes you to go through all the bonds. And it's just an absolutely superb, uh, very original story. There's For me, there's nothing quite, quite else like this in the Bond universe. So this is about a vengeful Bond who goes rogue to infiltrate and take down an organization of a drug lord who has murdered his friend's new wife and left him near dead. And that friend being Felix Leiter. Um, 
and we've had movies before, you know, he's handed in his notice a number of times. But this whole movie, he is, he's basically, he's not operating as an agent for Her Majesty's Secret Service. I guess probably the closest to this would even be the start of No Time to Die, where, you know, where Bond is off the grid and sort of retired. But this whole movie, he's basically, he's out for revenge and it's just, it's so different. Timothy Dalton is superb again. He plays the serious Bond so well and it's i don't know if it's just luck or what but it's just great that these two movies these two stories came along at a time um that timothy dalton came into the franchise because i feel like he was if, if i was to place timothy dalton against only two movies in the franchise this would definitely be one of it probably even more than last week's um uh living daylight sorry um so yeah fantastic I have definitely never seen uh, License to Kill. And if you had said to me, you know, you know what what sort of date range would we be talking about for Timothy Dalton, I would have said, I don't know, 72. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, just like no idea. Yeah. And the fact that, like, you know, 1989, like that's, you know, like we were just talking about Romper Stumper before, like 30 years ago, which, you know, you and I are old, Paul, so that's not that long ago for us, but... Like that's you know that's a fairly modern Bond film as far as sort of things go, and I I think you're doing a good job of sparking my interest in wanting to at least watch the Timothy Dalton Bond movies. Well, this is as far as it goes. I mean, you know, the next thing I'll be talking about is Goldeneye, and so if you start thinking that Goldeneye is the next movie in this franchise, that tells you how, as you say, how modern it is, right? So, um, yeah. Well, I'm glad it's doing that because for me, I always remember that I enjoyed Timothy Dalton, but I didn't realise how much until I've come through and done this, uh, this this rewatch. It's uh, another great theme song. It was interesting because I thought uh, I didn't like the theme song as much as when I actually watched the movie, and it's very orchestral and grand, and it's good. Um, uh, the poster isn't for me. I feel like the poster quality is dipped ever since we've left the Roger Moore era personally maybe our worst one yet to be honest yeah. looking at this poster yeah it's um, it's it probably isn't as strong as the Living Daylights perhaps so he doesn't maybe go on the best movie of the two but this movie is still that strong I don't really understand why it's only trending at a 6.6 that for me feels like there's some modern eyes being cast across a an older movie. I, I don't know, but it's um I would say given how good both of these are, I feel if I was to if if I was to average out every bond based on the movies that they did and the score I give those and then divide it by the number of movies, I actually feel like Timothy Dalton would be possibly right up there in the top two bonds, which is extraordinary because I never would have come into this rewatch thinking that. That's amazing. And just, you know, even just scanning down the cast list, Benicio Del Toro. Yeah. Like, crazy, crazy. And we, so we've still got the same Q as well. Uh, yeah, Q carries on all the way through to the end of Brosnan. He's still going. He's He has a really good part in this movie. He's out in the field and even though Bond's going rogue, he sort of, he, he turns up to sort of help him and he's he's probably the most screen time of any Bond movie for Q, which is is great but um yeah like i said last week timothy dalton deserves so much more this is 1989 we don't get golden eye until 95 so they could easily have squeezed in 
you know, two more movies in 91 and 93. That's how quickly they sort of used to, you know, bang them out. And it's, yeah, it's just a, the story element is so much of what makes the Daniel Craig run so memorable and enjoyable and successful for me. And I think that that wasn't perhaps something that was the Roger Moore era, but Timothy Dalton had a, a really good chance here. Interesting. I sent this to you in the week offline, but um, Pierce Brosnan was signed up to to play Bond in these two movies. He was just playing Remington Steele. It wasn't going that well. They grabbed him for Bond. There's a photograph of him signing on for Bond. That picture got so much public attention that it reignited the franchise for Remington Steele. So he went back to Remington Steele and gave up the chance to be Bond, which is why Timothy Dalton got this chance. And uh, it would be... Uh, I uh, I enjoy Pierce Brosnan, but I feel like these movies, of all the Bonds, Timothy Dalton is hands down the, the best for the job. And he, as an actor now, is someone I will actively seek out and go see the stuff that he's he's been in because he's left it with a really positive feel. And I will, uh, yeah, I look forward to next week's Golden Night, but I, I'm already going to miss him. He probably is a great candidate for a peak performance, just looking at some of the other stuff that he's been involved in. Yeah, so there is some stuff yeah. in there. I've seen him in Doctor Who. I've seen him in a few things, but I, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff I haven't seen him in. So, uh, yeah, I'd be keen to he's, do He's uh, he's Mister Pricklepants in Toy Story. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, it's great, and and you can hear the voice now if if you if you watch that movie, I can hear it. Uh, what else have I got? Oh, so the the other thing I've watched. The only, the one and only other thing I've watched uh, is a 2021 series uh, called Only Murders in the Building, which is uh, a Disney Plus series. Um, I will be spoiler light with this series. Uh, it's about three strangers who share an obsession with crime, uh, true crime, suddenly find themselves caught up in one. And... This is a show, so this is uh, Steve Martin, Martin Short, Selena Gomez as the main the main stars. This is a show I feel like I was never likely to, to A, press play on, and B, enjoy. And yet I did press play, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, so this was a gamble that turned into a really awesome surprise. And I, I don't know how to say this nicely, so I'll just say it. I am not normally a fan of of Steve Martin and even less so Martin Short um I that just have never really been in things that have ever appealed to me and when I've watched them I've just been kind of oh, take it or leave it doesn't really leave a lasting impression but this has turned me around and yeah it, it was a fascinating watch I don't know if you've heard of this one I've I've never heard of it and it's interesting you say because I'm like I haven't Steve Martin, I'm actually okay with. Martin Short, though, like as soon as I saw his picture on the poster, I was like, mm, I don't know if it's for me, but I think, yeah. you know, you're, you're challenging my uh, initial sort of thoughts. And it's, you know, like other shows, it's rating quite highly. Yeah. Oh, it really is. And it's just a really clever, and all of this, like if I was to explain it briefly, all of this happens very early in episode one. So it's no real spoilers here, but these three characters meet in a lift because they were in the same building and the the young character played by selena gomez her uh, she has no patience for these oldies and the more they try to be hip and talk 
in her language, the worse they make it. It's essentially how it's going to be for me when my daughter is a teenager. But by chance, they discover that they all listen to the same podcast. And something happens in the building, and there's no spoilers here because it's in the title. And so they decide to make a podcast about that. And it's just the the coming together of these three unlikely candidates. Um, and they just work together so well. It's it's genuinely funny. The chemistry, I didn't see it working when I saw that poster myself, but they are just awesome together. And there's lots of clever twists and the twists twists in anything are always good but these are so so intricate and so feasible that you're almost annoyed that you didn't see it coming yourself and it's it's i found it like reading a novel and you know when you're reading a book and there's something happens and it pulls you in and you just i don't know about you but i have this oh yeah this is a book for me and it really pulls you in you know you're hooked that's the feeling i have with this show and now i'm sitting here i can't wait for season two which is coming I'll tell you the bit that just hooked me in in that little spiel, Paul, was when you said they got together and they made a podcast. I instantly was like, oh, yes, yes, go on. I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> it's, and it's and it's fascinating watching them record the podcast and and all the all the things that go on behind the scenes that maybe aren't, you know, it's, it's, it's a ruse, you know, what they're, they're doing. Some of it isn't actually genuine. They're like, oh, we should make this up or whatever. It's, it's hilarious how they do that because, of course, true crime uh, podcasts are a massive massive genre with so many fans um and the selena gomez was another highlight for me because she here i am you know i'm I'm like steve martin in man short i'm 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 old i know she's famous i know she's massive but i couldn't tell you why and i thought she was really really good in this as a as a as a third lead begrudgingly getting to know these two oldies um but yeah when they when they find out that they all listen to the same podcast there's this instant that's it we're best mates and age goes out the window and they just, they just, they're just great together. I love that. That's really good. You've, you've turned my thinking around. I'll, I'll add it to the list. Oh, honestly, there's hope for, I mean, if I can watch this and be into sort of into, into Madden Short and Steve Madden, I'd say that there's, there's hopes that uh, for actors like, um, Bill Pullman for me would be one that I've sort of written off. It's making me think, Oh, look, if these guys at this age can come back and I have to admit, as I was watching it, I was actually laughing at Martin short the most. And it was, it was like killing me inside. I just felt like I'd got it wrong my whole life. And maybe I'd just seen him in some really, some really bad things. Um, the only thing I would say is they, 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 this could have been eight episodes. It's, um, it's 10 episodes and I feel like they could have trimmed a little fat off and just brought it down a couple of episodes. And the other thing is, is with, Disney Plus is you sort of you know you're watching two or three in a row and each episode starts with a recap that you don't need but worse still it ends with a preview of a few highlights from the next episode I hate that like don't give them in the binging world you don't want that preview right because sometimes like for whatever reason you can't get to the remote fast enough or something's happening and it's just like you don't want the preview and I think that's what you've got to give Netflix credit for right the fact that they if they know that you're like you're binging this we're not going to play you recaps um, and and we'll jump forward however long it needs to be yeah it's look don't don't they test these things that's like 101 design isn't it this is great though. This is a hundred percent a recommendation for me. And yeah, only murders in the building. Disney Plus. What a week, Paul. We've we've had a lot of uh, a lot of watching, and it's not over because we've got to talk about the book of Boba Fett. 
Yeah. We, or should uh, I say The Mandalorian uh, Season 3, Episode 1? <laughs> I don't book, know. The book of The Mandalorian. Um, you're right, though. It was basically Season 2.5 of The Mandalorian. Um, it was... Uh, I don't know about you, but it was... Again, anyone who's watching this, spoilers, <laughs> tune out now. But this, from start to finish, was 100% all about The Mandalorian. And only in the last two, three minutes did he turn up uh, and meet up with Fennec. Fennec. Yeah, Fennec. I, um, I'll hand to you, Dan. Okay, so <laughs> I almost don't even know where to begin, right? Because so... Season one, episode, chapter five, I should say. And so there's, there's so much to talk about, right? So at the end of the uh, chapter four, we heard the Mandalorian music. And when this episode started and they had a, a bounty hunter appear behind a, a Meatworks curtain, like it was all kind of like, is this going to be Boba? Is this going to be Din? And then, you know, this was a fantastic episode of The Mandalorian. So much happened. It, like, I've got questions, right? Because I almost, like, I'm, 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 I'm giddy with excitement because there's so many pop culture references throughout this whole, whole episode. And this feels like such a crucial episode in the context of The Mandalorian. Like, they're obviously very confident that whoever watches The Mandalorian is watching the book of Boba Fett. Um, and, and vice versa, because things that happened in this episode with um, with Din basically like trading in his, his spear, him, you know, getting a new ship, with him kind of severing his relationship um, with, the, with the clan, like it's so many big things happened that will have an impact on season three of The Mandalorian. And it's kind of like it's bold of Disney to be like, we're going to show these in a different TV show. And I was kind of surprised and delighted at the same time, but also surprised that this whole episode, as you say, was focused on The Mandalorian because we've only now got two episodes left of The Book of Boba Fett. And I know that obviously The Mandalorian's key to that, but the fact that he's like, you know, when Phoenix like, hey, I'm going to need, we Boba needs your help. He's like, cool, but I've got a job to do first. Classic, classic employee. Classic. <laughs> um, ne never can just do what they're told. Um, like, what's like? Are we gonna go and see Grogu in this next episode? Are we going, or are we? Is that going to be in season three, or like, is, is it going to be a bit of a jump? Like, who knows? But like, even now, I'm I'm, I'm fizzing, Paul. I'm fizzing because we've got he's got a new ship. Yep. He's got a Naboo Starfighter. Looks like Anakin's. Which, looks like Anakin's, which not only has he made that, that ship's always been pretty cool in my mind, but he's made it super cool. I'm worried about where he stores his cargo. Like, he's got nowhere. <laughs> like, he's got he's got that little, like, baby pod to put Grogu in, but he's got nowhere for any friends or, or anything like that. We've got, we <clears throat> he went into Biggest Canyon. We've got Womp Rats. We've got, like, Jurassic Park kind of throwback scenes in there. It's so much, you know, prequel nods in this episode like a great day for prequel fans oh great day for prequel fans just like beggars canyon back home this was this had a, a lot of things in there i feel like you and i've been around 
one or too many open homes because you know we're already looking at something and thinking about storage space and thinking well you know where, where are you gonna where are you gonna put all your things you know there's no storage in the ship you know um a lot of things we can talk about with the ship it's interesting that you started because i wrote one question for you and you kind of touched on it already it was it was kind of sad to see mando without grogu and so in that respect it was it was clever to have this episode now as it reignites how we felt at the end of season two of the mandalorian and as you say it sounds like he is off to see grogu and so my question to you is are we we gonna are we gonna do you think we're gonna see that in the next episode of the book of boba fett are we gonna see it at the start of the mandalorian season three or will we simply hear about it and and it will just be covered off in a novel or something I, I honestly I'm I'm so intrigued because I feel like going to see Grogu would be the perfect thing to do after this mission and it was weird to me after after helping Boba and so it's weird to me that like he was like I will but I've got to do this first so that kind of implies that we're going to see Grogu but I say that with kind of with caution because I think Paul he needs to learn how to use the Darksaber. Who's going to teach him how to use the Darksaber? Is it Luke? Is it Ahsoka? Is it, God, is it Mace Windu? Is it, who is <laughs> it? You know, like, you know, there's, there's things there's things that need to happen, but I think there is a Jedi in the Mandalorian's future who is going to help him to wield that blade, much like Kanan did. Uh, in Rebels, there, there has to, you know, you have to learn to to weld the dark saber, much like a lightsaber. And I think we're we're going to get that moment, which is is pretty exciting. I'm full of emotion and around what little piece of armor Grogu's going to get yeah. from the from the spear. Like that, that seems adorable. I'm my caution is I like Grogu's such a a main character right i just don't know how we could you know for the ultimately that the penultimate episode of this miniseries go and spend all that time with grogu to then cut like i I just don't know how it would work but it does make me like there's gonna have to be some type of jump because i feel like this episode is really gonna have to focus on sort of setting up this this ultimate battle but it also makes me wonder you know i think there could be some extra friends that are brought into this that I think there's still some some surprises and delights to come with uh, the Book of Boba Fett. Touched on a few things and I'll try and address them. Firstly, and I'll say this now rather than later because I want to finish on a low note, because as much as I absolutely loved every minute of that episode, uh, and I, I truly did, I simultaneously have this this OCD can't cope with a whole episode of the Book of Boba Fett being spent if you want, if that's the right word, on The Mandalorian. I am so conscious of how little time we have left with Boba. Plus, we've we've wrapped up the back to scene you know, from the past. It's all about Boba. I, I guess I'm really, I was really excited to see a whole three episodes of, of Boba Fett in the here and now and and B, have have him have an episode with Mando at his side because that's what I was really drooling for and it was it was so awesome to have Boba Fett when he turned up in The Mandalorian working together and so the reverse of that in this series I thought was something else I'd be looking forward to and we never really got that so that being said I to answer the uh, the question I posed to you I don't believe we will continue 
with the Mando story in this next episode of the Book of Boba Fett, I have a strong feeling it may actually be hearsay or something that's covered in a novel. And if it's in a novel, then maybe it will be Luke. But if it is something we see, be that in the Mandalorian or even be it in the Book of Boba Fett, and if as you're quite correct, it will be someone to help him wield that deck saber. I've said this before. Well, I'll say it again. It won't be Luke Skywalker. Well, yeah, I, I just don't know, Paul. I just like I'll tell you something else. And what we need to think about for Chapter Six is who's the writer for Chapter Six, Paul? It's Dave Filoni, and Dave Filoni don't eff around, bless his soul. And you know, could we be getting an Ahsoka Tano, you know, yeah. moment? And yet, like. That like, feels, there's a chance. That feels a lot more feasible. It feels a lot more natural. And I actually wonder if... Oh, no, that's not coming until 2023, is it? I was wondering if they might take the Darksaber story into Ahsoka. Maybe Ahsoka will have to show up in The Mandalorian. I don't see it happening in The Book of Boba Fett. And if no, it, it, yeah. if if it's... Yeah, if it, I, feel like, I feel like Luke had his moment... And that was enough. I feel like to go there again would be dangerous and may even tarnish that wonderful moment we had. So I feel like it will be, I think, I think it will be someone else. But um, oh. I, don't, I don't think we're getting Luke either. I think that, and I think we do have to go back to focus on the, on the Boba story. And I, I guess I think a couple of things that we need to consider. One, it kind of got me thinking, could Boba end up with the Darksaber? Like in some weird turn of events. And I don't know because I feel like it feels quite critical to the Mandalorian story, but I, I don't feel like even though we've got this currently listed as a mini series or limited series, I don't think this is the end for Boba Fett and Fennec Shand. I think there's many uh, series in development that they can still be connected to. So I, I'm, I'm very unsure where this is going. And I think, you know, I've, I, I would have thought that in, you know, it, chapter five we might have got like you know i thought i actually paused the episode halfway through like oh, we're probably about to switch back to boba fett because we've had enough but this was a, a really you know character dedicated episode to the mandalorian and it's interesting you say before how we got that when we got boba fett in the mandalorian like a really like epic episode quite violent quite quite extreme for both star wars yeah. and disney yeah and this episode was actually no different for the mandalorian like you know he, he's chopping off heads he's chopping people in half like quite uh gruesome not over the top but gruesome scenes for star wars and disney considering the the, the, the platform that it is so interesting that they kind of um had that sort of yin and yang to both the, the Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett. 100%. No, they really have. And talking about who will, you know, you've suggested it might be Boba who gets the Darksaber. I actually thought, watching this, I, I actually was convinced that the other Mandalorian who he was battling with was going to win, win it off of him in battle. And that would be how they'd write the saber out of this out of this story not that it would be disregarded it would be picked up somewhere later i actually thought oh yeah they're they're doing this deliberately to get the saber out of mando's hands before season three kicks off um but it wasn't to be the other thing that i found weird about this episode is i have always enjoyed the armorer and i've kind of enjoyed that like the heavy mando uh, i'm not sure what his, his actual character name is but i i've i found them great kind of interesting characters in, in the Mandalorian story and I felt like there was a bit of a 
uh, finality to the whole way that it's kind of like, right, you're, you're, you're taking off your helmet, you're out, That's you're it. out, mate. <laughs> yeah. And like, w- we might not see them for some time. And I think ultimately, maybe that needed to happen because we need Din to kind of go on a bit of this character journey and realize that, uh, there's, there's different ways of, of living and, you, you don't have to live up to this sort of level of the the creed or, or the the law of Mandalore, and it, it just felt like a lot of information that should have been in the Mandalorian. And I think it's yeah. so tough because this was a fantastic episode, and like you know, I see it gets like a nine point four mm. on IMDb, and it deserves that nine point four. I do have a sort of a was that the right place for it? Yeah, and it's like That's right. it it just felt like what a fantastic. Episode one of the Mandalorian season three that would have been yeah I mean, my my son who's who's twelve said exactly the same thing is like why why did they do that then why you know where was Boba it's it's interesting because there are a number of fans who have tuned out of the book of Boba Fett because they've decided for one reason or another as you decided just uh, mentioned earlier it's not for them the character arc of Boba isn't for them and and but of course they're very much invested in the Mandalorian and I just have this vision of people all turning in, turning up into an office the next morning and everyone sort of coming in again, oh, did you see the book of Boba? And then like 30 seconds later, like six or seven cars speeding out of the drive from the car park going home because they've just got to desperately go home and watch this episode because, as you said, Disney have made a large assumption that if you're in for The Mandalorian, then you're definitely watching this. And there's no, there's no, it doesn't matter what the, the title, I mean, what a great title, by the way, Return of The Mandalorian. I mean, an obvious play on Return of the Jedi, but it, just calling it how it is. It doesn't matter what the the credits are. This was a one hundred percent an episode of The Mandalorian, and that was why it was was a welcome thing because we love that, and it was it was so enjoyable. And even the fringe parts of it, I just loved. And I make a shout out to the character uh, Peli Motto, played by Amy Sedaris, the the engineer who runs the hangar with her droids. I've sat on this podcast with you the very first time we saw her, and I think I said something to you like, oh, I'm not sure about this character. She feels a bit cheap, and is she really good enough for this show? And I just think I, she's really growing on me. I love her mannerisms and her relationship with Mando and her humor. I think she's a great character. And, you know, can can you spend 20 minutes of an episode watching her put a ship together and have Jawa bring in parts? Does that work? Yes, it does. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I, it's funny, eh, because in this episode, one thing that kind of – and this this isn't unique to this episode. This has been in this whole book of Boba Fett, is there is lots of scenes of people slow walking places, whether you're walking across um, the dunes of Tatooine, whether you're um, riding on – let's escape my memory – the elephant things, the snuffleupaguses that the, the, the Tuscan Raiders ride. The Banthers, that's the word I'm looking for. Whether Snuff you're a Mandalorian who's got an injury and he's slowly walking, it's like, like I, I'm kind of like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Like, we kind of, you know, I need like three seconds of him walking slow. To, I understand he's got an injury because I'm all, I'm just so conscious of like your burning story time and there's so many kind of slow moments. And yeah, I'm a bit like you, I think, with Amy's character, is she's really grown on me as well. But there is a lot of time dedicated to that stuff. And it's amazing that despite all of those extra moments, and I guess this is where it works, is when we get like a 30-second X-Wing scene, I get all like the yeah. the schoolboy inside me. He's like, woohoo! And it's because it's like I'm so – it's like you've you've earned those scenes, right? And you've kind of like, here, here's your candy, little boy. Like That's jog it. on. And it's 
<laughs> there's, there's just so many great scenes like that, right? Even, like, as a Superman fan, Paul, I'm sure, you know, the scene where um, where Den's in the in the Starfighter and he's waving at the kid. Like, it's yeah. so, like it's got some great Superman sort of... 100%, I thought um, that too. Pullbacks. I love yeah, seeing um, the X-Wing, like you, Paul Son Hyung Lee, again, showing up in the in the cockpit was was great i love that they're bringing him back and the other guy max lloyd jones uh he was actually the body double they used for luke skywalker in that final episode of the mandalorian it's, it was him and so for him to have a speaking part i thought was was great there was so much so much in there that was just was just great the the superman moment i did note that and i did appreciate that and i'm really amazed that you picked up on it too emily swallow a great voice as the armorer she does crack me up though because there's like only so many times you can say this is the way like she's throwing that answer out left right and center to everything and i'm like i'm just imagining it in a workplace in a business context how many times i would be able to get away with saying this is the way and before someone on the project actually called me out and said paul we're gonna need a little bit more than that this is the way yeah look i'm i'm looking forward to uh chapter six Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be intriguing where we go because I don't think it was a a clean a clean ending, which kind of like n- made me feel confident that we're going back to Boba. Like we could literally be going anywhere. So I I'm I'm very excited to watch that episode. One hundred percent. That is the book of Boba Fett on Disney Plus, and yeah, let's see what we get next week, Dan. I think, you know, we've, we've said it before, but like I think it's worth sticking with these because goodness comes to those who wait. And so let's let's stick with it. Shall we jump on over to our movie of the week? Yes, indeed. So as we say each week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose a movie. We watch that movie and a week later we then review it on this podcast. A week in advance, we post what movie we're going to watch in our Discord community so that you can watch along with us. So if you click the note, uh, sorry, the link in the show notes, you can find out what movie we're going to watch. This week, we watched Judas and the Black Messiah. This one uh, is a movie based on a true story uh, about uh, Chairman Fred Hampton of the Black Panther Party. Um, and it's it's centered around uh, a character, William O'Neill, who is offered a plea deal by the FBI to, uh, and he infiltrates the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party to gather intelligence on the chairman, Fred Hampton. This was an intense, brutal movie with a superb soundtrack, I might add, but just stressful, tense, just had all of the things that you would expect for this type of movie and a whole lot more. I think... You know, when watching this movie and kind of reflecting on it, it makes me think a couple of things. It makes me think, if the world, if America, um, this this movie is 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 if like effed up, and it's so effed up because it's real. And you know, often these these types of movies, or you know, movies about um, about about struggle, can be you know, like can can be. Good. Sometimes they can be a little bit sort of overlabored. Sometimes, but this, this is a this is a a really good movie that that's a really hard watch. I find, and I think by the end, like I, like it's it's devastating to kind of have this story. And I think it's it's sad that we have to have this story, but it's also 
we need this story to kind of remind ourselves, like, unfortunately, how how shit things have been, and, and in fact, still are for, for a lot of people. And I think, you know, this is a movie with a, a star-studded cast. It's got a, a director who's basically his directorial debut, and I think there's going to be some some Oscar winners walking away from this one, Paul. Oh, it's already happened. The Oscars for this. Oh, have they really? <laughs> yeah. No, so this, uh, I was looking at it earlier. Um, the, this is one of those rare occasions where both um, there was two nominations. Uh, so both um, Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield were both. I've mispronounced that, haven't I? No, no, I was just laughing at myself oh, for the okay. full half measure I, 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 of thinking about like when the Oscars happen. Like, no, no, no. The I remember the. This is one of the things because you chose two movies, and as soon as I saw this one, this one jumped out at me because I remembered the the Oscar situation, and they both got nominated for for the. And in the end, it went to Daniel, who portrayed Fred Fred Ham, uh, Hampton, and probably given the nature of that role, I think possibly. Uh, probably just edged it but you know we often talk about on this podcast you know we often talk about you know great performances great before the performances from both of these two in particular were both just genuinely exceptional it's one of those moments where i will now you know follow their careers i will there will never be a, a moment's hesitation in my mind you know it's, they've, they've made it to that level for me where I will. I will now go away and watch them in anything. I mean, I. I think for me, it was when we watched Queen and uh, Queen and Slim uh, that Daniel Kaluuya really, really jumped off the page for me. Um, I. I haven't seen the Keith Stanfield in as much. I know we watched him recently in the How Do They Fall, but um, I just thought absolutely exceptional. And what you said before about you know these movies and and how much in the world is messed up and and still is. That is so much the case in this movie. But what I found interesting here is, is that it's actually not, it's, it's not a classic, straightforward, good versus bad racial story. This show has, it, it, it shows elements on both sides of, of the bad. Um, and as the viewer, you're naturally drawn to the side of those who are being oppressed, who are being mistreated, who are being victimized. But it's very much more co- complex. There's a, there's a, a very nuanced view provided, which gives a real intense, thought-provoking feel to this movie. And and whilst that doesn't, I'm not I'm not in any way inferring, just in case anyone thinks I am, that that lends yourself to a view of empathy for or justification for those in power. It's just a, a very deep look at the system and and the prejudices, and and you do it all within the space of two hours. It's quite incredible. Yeah, it's, it's such a, a messed up concept, isn't it? Because the, you know, if I think back to to school and kind of like the the notion of like, and I, I don't know enough about American history or uh, the civil rights stuff to really probably even have a, a proper view, but like the notion of the Black Panthers, like now, you know, in, in today's uh, thinking it's it's considered sort of way more patriotic but i feel like several years ago um it not even that long ago always kind of almost painted as kind of a terrorist type like yeah when i know that's that's like you know now 
you know, we're, we're all, not all of us, but, you know, there's more education, there's more sort of awareness around um, what's going on. It's, it's it's a very different story. And I think what's what's so hard about this story is I think, so this is, this is a story, um, you know, 30, sort of 40 years ago, um, basically about a, a a murder that was committed by by gov- like government authorities as such. And when you look at sort of the context of how this organisation, or how the Black Panthers sort of operated and what they were trying to do, the way it's told in this story, there's, you know, there's a lot of good that they were trying to do as, as well. And I think the, 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 the extreme punishment, death, mm-hmm. um, that, that happens as a result of what happens in the film and, and what these characters do, what they did in real life is it's just so extreme. And when you when you compare it to other things going on, still, you know, in the world, you know, you get the, the capital riots in America, like, you know, the different audience, far less punishment than what happened to yeah. to the Black Panthers, for example. And and I think it's things like that are just are just so messed up. But I think this is a as you say, this is quite an intense story. I do think it's I do think it's slow at times. Right. But I think that slowness allows for you to kind of like process everything that's going on for the intensity that happens in the in the various scenes. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. There were were a few moments where I felt like they they could have ramped it up. I felt like they did a couple of times going a, a couple of different tangents, which never really eventuated in much. And so um there was so much story to tell here. And you know, they did it in two hours as I said and I felt like they could have sharpened up a couple of things. But um a minor a minor criticism on my part for that I would say the the other positives for me that came out of this was once again Jesse Plemons uh always enjoy seeing him he's popped up a few times now and um I've really started to take note of him ever since you and I watched um El Camino and I don't know one of us discovered about how um when there was that scene when he's driving along and he puts his arm out the car window and we, we found out that that was improvised and there's something really beautiful about that, how he does that. And he just, he brings something to every, every single performance that he does. The other thing that appealed to me when you sent the two movies through for consideration was last year, one of the best shows I sort of watched from the year before was the Panthers, which was about the, the Polynesian Panthers who were inspired by the, the Black Panthers in the USA. And so there was a lot of synergy. A lot of the things you, I saw in the, in the Panther series were here in this one, but this one just had a, an intensity and a brutality around it. That was just unbelievable. And then at the end, as we so often talk about when they show the, you know, the actual bill, wide wild bill and his, his comments. Um, and you know, this movie is called Judas, and the Black Messiah. Um, I was—I don't know about you. I mean, this is an ignorance on my part, but I was just then stunned that within such a short period of time of him making that statement, and before this, you know, ever ever came to that interview, ever came to see the light of day, he, you know, committed suicide. Yeah, it's a. This this is a heavy movie, eh? With a, it almost you know after watching this, I almost didn't feel like I now I. I don't feel qualified to talk about it. Like no, it's that's right. It's it, and it's so it's almost it almost feels wrong to review it as such. Do you know? Like because it's just there's so much stuff that like I don't know and I don't have the the history or the context or the or the language for. It makes it a 
a, a difficult one to talk about, but like it's a, it's a good it's a good movie, and it, it does like like many movies that we've reviewed um, on our movie of the week. It, it gets you thinking. Yeah, oh, it really does, and I feel exactly the same way. I make very few notes coming into these podcasts, hence hence the name Half Measures, and yet with this one, I've got two notes. Uh, and because I'm like I don't know what else, and I'm like I'll, I'll just pick up the conversation with Dan because I'm I'm really not sure that I feel I felt that way about a couple of things we've talked about. So yeah, it's an interesting observation. Yeah, yeah. So this is a a movie that you can uh, watch on Neon here in New Zealand. It's it's pretty new out. Um, so yeah, I think it's I don't I don't think we should give this one a, a gun rating ball. Correct. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right at all. Instead, Dan. I will I will simply ask you, of everything that you've watched and talked about on this episode of, of Half Measures, both by yourself and the joint watches we've had, what is your pick of the week, Dan? This is this is tough because I want to say the episode of the man, of the book of Poverty that we <laughs> that we watched. But I ah uh, but I also had such a fantastic time watching the last couple of episodes of Dexter New Blood. Oh, don't, don't turn into oh. a, a paddy about this and have a three, two, one. This isn't that situation. This is a this is a okay. this is your okay. pick of the week. All right, pick of the week for me is uh, chapter five of the uh, the book of Boba Fett, the Return of the Mandalorian. The Return about of yourself. the Mandalorian. For me, uh, yeah, that was close for me. For me, I'm gonna have to go with Only Murders in the Building. I did not expect to ever be finishing work and thinking, right, let's have dinner. Let's get these t- these kids into bed so I can sit down and watch that Steve Madden, Madden short show. I just never thought that'd be something I'd ever feel in my life. And it's given me a new perspective on on that. And yeah, I, I'm i just blown away by it. And I cannot wait for the second season. And I guess like you've picked up on, because it's kind of about a bunch of people recording a podcast, there's kind of something very interesting for us uh, on that side of things. So that would be my pick of the week. I love it. I love this new pick of the week. It's got a it's got a great vibe to it. And that takes us straight into our news desk then. All right. So not a big news desk for you this week, but a, a couple of things that have come to light. It looks like uh, Joaquin Phoenix Joker is, sequel is coming our way soon, and they're looking to potentially start that filming in 2023. We don't know much about how that's going to play out yet or what it means for uh the first joker movie but look you and i are both big fans of of joaquin phoenix we're both big fans of the joker i am intrigued about season two i'm also you know and we've said this before i'm cautious season two about a second movie because i just that first movie is so great um i'd love to borrow it off you sometime paul if possible I do own it on Blu-ray. I don't know where it is at the moment, but I I remember when uh, it was one of our very early podcasts as well, Dan. Um, it may even have been the the Half Measures Oscars, which was like the second or third podcast we ever did, and we talked about the joke. And I remember us saying at the time, do we need a sequel? And then by the end of the conversation, we're saying, who are we kidding? If they make it, we're going to be first in line to see it because – this is such a unique take on the Joker, but um, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's 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 going to be good, and I imagine lots of information will come out about that in the 
over the next year or so as we start to sort of learn more about who's involved and and where the script might be going so we'll definitely keep you posted as we hear more uh our friends over at paramount plus have another tv show uh coming very soon this is the halo tv series so the halo tv series has long been uh in development um in various sort of forms um but it looks like it's going to release on the 24th of march 2022 so look we don't have paramount plus here in new zealand but we need it because the list of shows that i want to watch is just it's getting it's getting extreme. So if you could get your social a social media manager to just maybe do a few plugs for for the nation, that would be highly appreciated. What's that? There is a Masters of the Universe live action movie um, heading to Netflix, which will be interesting. We it's been a long time since we've had the the Dolph Lundgren um, live action He Man. I'm intrigued to see how that may go. But it looks like the script has been produced by uh, one of the writers from Shang-Chi, The Legend of the Ten Rings. And so I actually haven't watched that movie yet, but I, I hear very fantastic things. So I think that gives a, a lot of hope. There's there's so much He-Man um, and Master of the Universe at the moment. It's, it's, it's almost overwhelming. Yeah, incredible. I mean, I, we love the animated version. It'd be interesting to see what this, this might be. Because, yeah, that Dolph Lundgren one, that was a long time ago very long time ago and then i'm going to leave you with one final bit of news for me someone is joining the fast family pool jason momoa much loved um actor from baywatch from c from game of thrones he has been confirmed as fast and the furious 10's villain welcome to the fast family jason great times so there is a tenth movie, and they've got Aquaman lined up. Okay, that's uh, he's 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 a big guy. You need a big guy to face off against Vin Diesel because Vin Diesel's the biggest guy in the world, right? Yeah, well, he's uh, you know, I think with you know, it's looking not looking good for the Rocky ever coming back. So they need another big superstar. Look, I'm a big uh, Jason Momoa fan, and I th- I think he'll be a fantastic villain. That should be uh, we should be in, in for some epic adventures. Very good. What about you, Paul? Anything on your end? A um, couple of things. There's a Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, I don't know if it's a movie or TV series. Zeus. Like I, I saw a poster for it, mm. and I'm just like, mm. that's that looks very strange. But again, Arnold Schwarzenegger are watching anything. That's um, that's fascinating. Good to see I've done my research. Can't even tell if it's a movie or a TV show. Um. Star Trek Strange New Worlds poster came out this week. Uh, another show that's going to be on Paramount Plus uh, coming out May the 5th uh, in most countries. Not here. We'll find out when, if, when it will come out in New Zealand. But uh, a really beautiful uh, first artwork poster. So if you're a Trek fan, definitely uh, check that one out. Um, Space Force Season 2. Um that's 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 on its way this week i understand so this is a show that you and i watched the first season of we had a couple of mixed reactions to it but i'll be keen for season two perhaps i did see this and it kind of made me sad when i saw it and i thought i don't want to talk about it and (laughs) now you've brought it up and i feel sad (laughs) i'm definitely gonna have to watch it now then um that i think was everything that i 
had other than to say that the the young wallander which was a series that i watched season one of season two of that is also on its way if you're a wallander fan get in amongst season one before season two comes out because that was a, a pretty interesting watch that's all i've got though dan mm-hmm. i'll take us across to our mailbag there was just three things this week um your review of heels the the wrestling drama season one last week very popular uh with with listeners and online we had quite a few comments on that one including uh stacy from your hometown of montana uh she listened in and then shared our link with all of her followers saying it was an awesome uh pod and to give it a listen we even had professional wrestler brady pierce who appeared in the ring throughout season one of hills he also liked and commented on our instagram post as well uh, we have the creator of Dope Sick, Danny Strong. He he already liked the review last week. This week he retweeted it to his 55,000 followers. The reason I mention that is because one of them is Sir Michael Keaton. So in my mind, Dan, Michael Keaton has, has been sat, you know, in between takes of Batman on the set of Flash or Batwoman. And it's just, you know, the, the Half Measures tweet has, has, has gone across his Twitter timeline. So watch this space. Um, what else have I got? Oh, and my yeah, my James Bond rewatch. I am not alone in my admiration of Timothy Dalton. We had John from Roddenberry Podcast and Paddy from Time Traveling Chink both comment uh, the same thing uh, in around License to Kill review last week. Both big fans as well. And finally, peak performance last week was Vera Farmiga. Uh, we had three come in. Michael, North Carolina, went with The Conjuring, Bates Motel and Orphan. So he's three for three for horror picks there. Uh, Ryan from Oakland also picked out Orphan as his favourite. And Paddy from Time Jumping Podcast gave us the three, two, one of The Departed, Safe House and The Conjuring. So a couple of votes for The Conjuring and a couple of votes for the orf- for, for Orphan, which I've not seen at all. I've never seen that either, but it's uh, an intriguing movie that I actually think, uh, going back to Halloween last year when we were looking for spooky movies, and I think Sador recommended Orphan. Right. But I don't think I could find it on any of our platforms here. Yeah, that happens a lot here. But yeah, that is our mailbag this week, Dan. Very good. Shall we jump on into our peak performance of the week? Indeed. So much like Move of the Week, Dan and I take it in turns every week to choose someone from Hollywood, typically. Sometimes it's from more local, but this one is definitely from Hollywood. And we look back on their career and say, what's the best thing they've done this week? We have gone for the most, the person with the most nominations in the history of movies. So it doesn't get any more peak than this. It's Meryl Streep. It's a great choice, Paul. Um, And it was an interesting one to kind of go through Meryl Streep's back catalogue. And I know that I infamously called her Meryl Strump during our um, Don't Look Up review. So for the sake of this, I'll I'll give her her proper proper name. So I'm going to go with for my uh, runner-up for my second one. I'm actually going to go with the 2009 movie Fantastic Mr. Fox. And so Meryl Streep plays Mrs. Fox. And what I can't quite work out is – I just have such a love for this movie and such a love for all the characters. I I can't quite separate in my mind. Is it 
is it Meryl Streep's performance I love or is it just the movie that I love so much? And I've long raved about this movie and you can actually watch it on Netflix here in New Zealand uh, at the moment. So if you haven't seen Mr. Fox, highly, highly recommended, particularly if you've got kids. But I think you know, Meryl Streep, fantastic performance, loved her as Mrs. Fox, loved how just trying to you know manage Mr. Fox, trying to just the way she played that sort of like wifely type character was was fantastic along an already star-studded cast Mm -hmm. it was definitely um, very standout for me but for my peak performance I'm going really old school and I'm going to a movie that I loved as a as a very young teenager so this is the 1992 movie Death Becomes Her and so this is a movie starring Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis and Goldie Hawn and it's ultimately Bruce Willis is sort of plays a, a a plastic surgeon type character and and these women um discover the sort of immortality treatment and they kind of have to keep getting put back together as they as they basically kind of kill themselves and I don't know what it was and I imagine this movie is a terrible watch in 2022 but in 1992 a very young Daniel Whiting thoroughly enjoyed this movie so much so I'm pretty sure I owned it on VHS I would watch it pretty regularly and I just remember having a a great time at all of the sort of the wacky scenes like it at one moment I think Goldie Horn's character gets maybe shot with a shotgun and has got a big hole in her stomach and kind of needs to be put back together because she's she's immortal and and I think just the 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 character like between Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis, and Goldie Hawn, like what a, a star-studded, fantastic cast, and just a, a real memorable movie from my from my childhood. I love that. I love it when something from the childhood comes through, and it doesn't matter what's been done since then. That one's got a place in your heart, and it it makes the peak performance. I love that. It doesn't surprise me that we've got four different movies to talk about here because when you look at someone like Meryl Streep's catalog, it's just absolutely incredible. The the honourable mention for me, this is her most recent Oscar win of the, the 21 Oscar nominations that she's had so far. And this was the, the one for 2011's The Iron Lady. And she became Margaret Thatcher in this movie in the most extraordinary way. The, the mannerisms, the likeness was uncanny. Just looking at the poster even now, is just incredible you have it's it's a double take in terms of is have they done something with that poster have they sort of you know half and half the face no they haven't i i do enjoy that type of imitation performance um every now and then for certain types of people margaret thatcher was prime minister all my childhood growing up in the uk and so i always find watching uh you know a characterization of her fascinating movies and this is second to none it was absolutely superb but my actual um peak performance is it's actually one of my all-time favorite war movies and that is 1978's the deer hunter um and this is like only her th- i don't know like fourth or fifth movie ever and despite her being even you know at that point relatively inexperienced and in you know in her 20s she gives such an accomplished performance um uh, and her character is um, both uh, Robert De Niro and Christopher Walken's characters both both love her and both want to, to marry her. And it's it's an exceptional movie that I haven't watched for 
many, many, probably about 15 years, but she just shines out in it. And it's, it's layered with so much sadness and, and loss and all the things you'd expect with a Vietnam War movie, but uh, her part in it and the, the way she comes between those, those two guys is just incredible. And as, as I say, just at such a, a young age, she was, you know, with respect, she was basically a no one at that point. And she was, she just showed straight away her absolute quality. So yeah, for me, I'm going with The Deer Hunter. Good shout, Paul. That is a, a fantastic movie. It's been a very long time since I've seen that movie as well. Mm, great soundtrack. Well, Paul, that probably just about brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. Indeed. Thank you once again for listening all the way to the end of this podcast. Get in touch with us if you've got anything you want to say, any movie of the week suggestions or peak performance you might like us to do. Uh, halfmeasurespodcast.com or on any of the social medias. I'd also like to give a, a very special shout out to um, our Patreon supporters, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa and Linda Tevner. We appreciate all of your support for helping us to produce the show. If you too would like to become a Patreon supporter, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios. <laughs>